Well, good morning. I think it would be helpful for us just to have uh, me remind you where we are. We've had a little bit of uh, a wibbly-wobbly time here. We've been in Mark, and then we started Proverbs, and then we ordained Pastor Austin. And so we took a little break from Proverbs, and now we're going back into Proverbs. So if you will turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3, that is where we will be this morning. Two weeks ago, Pastor Austin was in chapter 2 of Proverbs, and that really looked and helped us understand the appeal of wisdom. What is the benefits that might come from a life pursuing wisdom? Well, chapter 3 is going to be a bit more of the same, but now with the focus on what comes from a life of pursuing wisdom. What is the outcome or the outpouring of a wise life. And so that's where we'll be today. But before we get there, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, God, you are the most wise. And God, you are the giver of wisdom. And so we ask that you please uh, give us your wisdom. Help us to live life in a way that we pursue what is right and holy and just and uh, that we emulate you in the things that we do. And God, uh, give us ears to hear from the book of Proverbs. Give us an open heart so that we can digest uh, the wisdom here and apply it to our lives and not just hear it. And God, we confess that so often we take control or try to take control of our lives ourselves and we ignore your wisdom. We ignore the godly counsel around us and instead we just trust in our own understanding, which is not helpful. And God, we thank you for your mercy as we struggle through this life, as we continuously rely on ourselves. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your mercy. And we ask that you help us to become more like you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, before we jump into the passage, I just want to uh, voice an important concept or, not, or an idea, and I don't think it's going to be new for any of you, but it's just really important as we study the book of Proverbs, and it's this. Our actions reflect our inner character and vice versa. We cannot separate our actions from our character and our ideas. Wanting to be a kind person does not make us a kind person. Wanting to exude wisdom and sit under the tree of wisdom doesn't make us wise. We can't claim to be wise and to have wisdom in our life if our actions are not revealing it. And I think it'd be helpful if we started with what is wisdom? And I've interpreted wisdom as skill and applied knowledge. There is action required, and it is more than just a knowledge of what is true. As I was studying this passage, I came across the fact that the Israelites used the word wisdom, or that same base word, to describe craftsmen and artisans, that they were those who exuded wisdom. Their wisdom and knowledge were revealed in their creations. Wisdom wasn't attributed to the person with the most knowledge, but it was the person who knew how to apply that knowledge and create or do something beautiful. 
And I think sometimes when we think of what is wise or who is wise, we might think of the wise man on the mountain. You know, you climb up the mountain and get to say, you know, well, what should I do with my life? And, and he answers, but sitting on a hill in deep thought doesn't make you wise. But doing the good that your knowledge brings you reveals your wisdom. And as I was thinking of this, there was an analogy that I, I wanted to bring about. And a lot of times pastors will do sports analogies, so I thought I'd go the opposite way and, and do one from literature. Um, <laughs> I just realized that I kind of offended like a lot of people, and that was not my intent. <laughs> you can like sports and books, I promise you. So I was thinking who's wise in literature, and I thought of the story of the Lord of the Rings. And if you don't know the story of the Lord of the Rings, there's these two wizards that are both valued for their wisdom. One of them is even called Saruman the Wise. And then there's Gandalf, and he's just the great. Um, and when we look at that, we think, well, Saruman's the wise one, right? And then we read the story. Who's wiser in that story? Saruman sits in his tower thinks big thoughts, and then falls prey to the temptations of power. Whereas we have Gandalf, who has this knowledge and applies it in his life, pursuing what is good. And so Gandalf is the one we want to be like. We need this action based upon the wisdom in our life. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. And that brings us to our passage, which is Proverbs chapter 3. And we'll start with verses 1 to 12, and I will read those. Please join in with me quietly. I always feel like someone's going to start out loud, and I don't, don't want to you know, embarrass you. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all you produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Well, I've been able to break the, these verses into three different sections, and I think each section is going to help us understand what an outpouring of wisdom looks like in a Christian's life. And verses 1 through 4 are going to be talking about right action. And we start reading in verse 1, and it talks about, do not let your, oh, excuse me, but let your heart keep my commandments. And I think when we think of the heart, we think of that as this internal thing. Spiritually, we, scripturally, we think of it sort of as, as the soul. And yet we have this action command of keep my commands. Here we have this idea of action. It's not just sort of this knowledge, but it is to keep the commands. There are commands to keep, not just to know. There are things to remember and to act on. God is teaching us things throughout life, whether that comes through scripture or friends or accountability or experiences. 
And those are the things that we need to act on with wisdom. Now, a teacher isn't satisfied with the student who knows what he's supposed to remember, right? If a student sits there and, and yeah, I remember, I'm supposed to go out and uh, change the flag for you this night or this morning. The teacher's not satisfied if the student's still sitting there in class. The teacher is satisfied with someone who not only remembers, but then does what they are supposed to be remembering. And so we see here that there are steps that are encouraged for us to take to remember the works of the Lord. There's two specific words here, stet, or two specific things we're supposed to remember, steadfast love and faithfulness. We'll get to those in just a little bit. But first I wanted to look at, again, the actions that accompany them. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Well, how can we do that? Now, obviously, this isn't a physical thing that we can do, but there are physical steps that we can take to make this true of us. This idea of personalizing these things so that we are connected to them. I think, firstly, we can meditate on the steadfast love and faithfulness of God. Spend time thinking about these things. I think we can study the steadfast love and faithfulness of God. Throughout scripture, there are many examples of this. I think we also have the opportunity to share with others the way that God has revealed his steadfast love and faithfulness to us. These are the physical actions that we can take that will help us on the path of wisdom. These are the things that will help us bind steadfast love and faithfulness around our neck and write them on the tablet of our heart. And so let's take a second to look at what do those words mean. We're supposed to remember them. We're supposed to make them a focal point of our lives. Well, first is these are things that we're called to do as followers of Jesus. We can show steadfast love and faithfulness to others. This is a love that doesn't give up, a love that pursues even when it at times is rejected. And we can be faithful people, people of integrity. And these are the things that we're supposed to remember, to bind and to, to write. And this tells us the result. You will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Good. Do these things. There are steps of action that we can take to grow in wisdom but not only are these things that we can be doing, this is something that we also need to recognize as attributes of God. Now, the goal of wisdom is not just action so that we can bring about a good result that leads to success, but it is an emulation of God and who he is. Now, as I was reading this, uh, it, it did make me think of, well, I had to look up the passage, but it made me think of Deuteronomy 6, 8 through 9, and that says this, speaking about the words of the Lord and the law of the Lord, the law of Moses, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. So this is dealing with the laws of the Lord, but there's some similar language here. Make this so much a part of who you are that it's like you're constantly observing it, looking at it, aware of it. Now, maybe you don't know this, but there are groups that actually do this. Scripture is 
put in these boxes and then tied around their foreheads as they pray, and they actually wrap them around their hands as well. Am I telling you that I want you to write steadfast love and faithfulness on your forehead or in your heart? No. However, again, I think there's an appreciation for the idea that we can get here. We can take physical steps to help us remember these things. When I was growing up, I carried around a piece of paper in my wallet for probably seven years and had five letters on it, DSFSB. And the reason that I carried that in my wallet for seven years was for one, my dad as the youth pastor promised whoever kept it in their wallet would get $20 when they graduated. <laughs> but the purpose of that was so that it was a constant reminder for the youth group to don't settle for second best. And all the things that we did, whenever we would pull out our wallet, are we spending our money wisely? Am I doing the things that are of utmost importance or am I settling for second best in my life? And so this was just an aid to me as I was trying to emulate Christ more in my life. And there are steps, again, that we can take to increase in wisdom. They're physical actions that are a part of wisdom. And I think also we just see in this passage this desire for us to daily keep the word of the Lord as central in our life. How are we going to understand steadfast love and faithfulness if we don't? And so we see these right actions that we can do. And when we combine that with verses 5 through 8, we see that right action combined with right perspective leads to something. And so right perspective is what we find in verses 5 through 8. I'm going to read those again. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment for your bones. If you were to try to summarize Proverbs, I think this section would be a good place to start. This is one of the main ideas, if not the main idea of Proverbs. The basis for wisdom is presented here. If you continue on in Proverbs, chapters 10 through 29 are, are a little bit different from the first nine chapters. 10 through 29 are filled with some of these shorter Proverbs, maybe some that you know or remember. Um, they're sort of the the things that we attribute to Benjamin Franklin, right? An apple a day keeps the doctor away. Uh, early to bed, early to rise makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. Okay, these are, those sort of things are presented in chapters 10 through 29, but this is where we see what really matters, the important part of wisdom, and that is that wisdom starts with the trust and the fear of the Lord. When we see that we're supposed to have trust and fear in the Lord, it's not just in some things, it's in all things, in all your ways. Turn away from evil in all things. And as we do this, as we trust and fear the Lord, it's going to help us have the right perspective that wisdom is pointed back to God. The goal of wisdom is a better understanding of God. And again, I think when we read verse 7, be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. The fear of the Lord is necessary so that we can turn 
away from evil. And this then brings, begs the question, what are we talking about when we say, fear the Lord? Do we turn away from evil because we fear the punishment of the Lord? Does that work? Think of when you were a kid, or if you're a parent, think of your kids now. How many times, if you were at all like me, did you understand what punishment would come based on the action that you were about to do and you still did it, right? We have this amazing ability to ignore the punishment that we know is coming or to at least ignore it at the time until it faces us and then we say, what was I thinking? But we are very good at that. And so I don't think the fear of the Lord is this, the fear of the punishment or the discipline. So what does it mean instead I think it's not a, a scared feeling, but the fear of the Lord is reverence and awe. Instead of a fear of punishment, we have a desire to avoid evil because we know that God deserves better. We revere him and his position. Now, clearly, I'm not saying that you as parents or you as students or uh, children should ignore or neglect discipline. That is an important part of following God, and we'll talk about that more as it continues. But when we're talking about the fear of the Lord, we're not speaking of the scared of the punishment. I also think it points us to a humility before the Lord. We're called to recognize whose thoughts are best and correct, and we need to trust in God and not man or ourselves. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. That brings about straight paths and a life without evil. And that sounds way better than the things that I end up getting into when I follow my own path. Now this year we're homeschooling our children. I was able to read, and my wife read more, but I was able to read parts of Pilgrim's Progress to them, which is a hard read. I believe we read one of the uh, condensed children's versions because I've tried Pilgrim's Progress. It's tough. Um, and so we see in that story this person of Christian pursuing the celestial city, pursuing a relationship with the king. And he had all sorts of opportunities to stray from the path that led to the celestial city, but his trust in the king and his fear of the Lord in terms of reverence and awe helped keep him on the right path and he reaches his goal. And so now we've seen there's this right action involved with wisdom and there's this right perspective that we need that, that God is the author of wisdom and God is the wise one and we are not. And these two things, when we combine them, lead us to verses 9 through 12, which leads us to right worship. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty. Your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. So the first thing we see about right worship is that we offer our first fruits, not our leftovers. Well, if you've been here throughout July, you've realized or maybe heard me talking about the fact that we were going on a challenge conference trip with the high school students. And so we went down to Kansas City. We had a week of speakers and music and um, breakout sessions and just an opportunity for us to grow closer to the Lord, closer to uh, each other, and have a deeper understanding and appreciation 
uh, for who God is. And I hope that that happened for the students. I feel like it did. It was a, a very good trip. I would encourage you to find a student who went and try to talk to them. Um, one of the reasons that we go on this trip is that I attended Challenge all throughout my school career. It was a trip that was uh, been going on for a long time. And it was really powerful and impactful in my life. And one of the things that I'll always remember is Francis Chan was the speaker at one of mine, and he was talking about this idea of giving our first fruits to the Lord. And I thought about actually doing the analogy, but I'm not Francis Chan, and I thought I might get in trouble if I left chicken leg pieces all over the stage. Melinda might not forgive me. But what he did is Francis Chan comes out and he starts talking about the first fruits of, of a day and how we wake up and we have all this energy and he takes a bite out of the chicken leg and this is the first thing that I did and he continues to eat this chicken leg as he's going through the day. And then at the end of the day, he's got this bare bone chicken leg and he says, oh, and then here's what I give to God because I've dedicated all the rest of it to sports, to work, to school, to whatever it was that was taking the bite out of that chicken leg. And then he drops the chicken leg on the stage and there's pieces all over and this is the, what we present to God as our worship, right? How often is that what we do? How often do we allow our worship to God be sort of the dregs of our day or the last of our energy? Are we giving right worship with the first fruits? Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all of your produce. That's what we have when we have wisdom and that brings about right worship. Another way that we see right worship exemplified is that we rejoice in discipline. I think this is a part of worship that we so often ignore. What an important part it is. We rejoice when we are reproved by God, when he is teaching us better ways for us to go about life. Psalm 23, 4 says this, Thy rod and thy staff comfort me. Some of you may not know this. My family and I have decided it is the time to have chickens in our backyard. So we have seven chickens, and they've now laid two eggs. <laughs> but um, I like my chickens, and I want to keep them safe. And I've built them this nice coop, and it's got locks on it so things can't get in and kill my chickens. And so we'll let them out in the yard, but then I need to sort of guide them back into the coop sometimes at night. Or if we're leaving to go, we don't want a hawk to get, so I'll guide. I think that my chickens should appreciate the fact that I get my big stick out and I'm out there in the yard herding these chickens to the coop, right? Believe it or not, they don't seem to appreciate it. <laughs> but we should be more wise than chickens. And so when the Lord is guiding us with discipline and reproof and he's using his staff and his rod to guide us, rejoice in that. He's either protecting us from danger or guiding us to something better or just helping us understand the right actions that we should be taking. And so we've seen this right worship then and the goal of wisdom is not to have. To, you know, all these passages sort of end with these have sections. You'll find favor um, and all this. The goal of wisdom is not to have, but to understand who deserves what we do have. Might seem as if the Father here is promoting this idea that wisdom is kind of for your own gain, 
right? We've read about straight paths, full barns, long life, success, healing and refreshment, lots of wine. Save that one for last. Um, but we need to give our best no matter what we have. The goal is not to have all of these things. It's to understand that God deserves it. And so I feel like we need to take a step back here real quick and look at Proverbs in general. They are a generally, but not always. The planned order of events, if we listen to wisdom, is this. Listen to wisdom, take the appropriate action, right? Wisdom leads to action, and then you find success. But then we read Proverbs 10.27, The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. Proverbs 22.6, Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. I know people who love Jesus who died young, and I know a lot of wicked people who've lived for a long time. And I've seen people, my friends, grow up in families that loved the Lord and taught them well, and they fall away. Right? This sounds good, but we know things don't always happen like that. You all have experiences either in your own life or you know people who've experienced these things. How do we deal with that? Well, I think it's important for us not to forget what other wisdom books there are in Scripture. Proverbs is not alone. Look at the book of Job. Job lived what we would consider a wise life, pursuing godly wisdom with right action, and his life turns pretty bad. You look at Ecclesiastes, we see a person wrestling through life, trying to figure out where happiness and meaning comes from. And these are wisdom literature as well. You read a proverb and you think, man, if I do this, this is going to be the result, and that's not always the case. We need to remember again, and this is, I think, a key point. It's not about having, it's not about getting those rewards. Wisdom is understanding who deserves what we have, who deserves what we can give. And so it's important for us to realize that proverbs are generalizations, not promises. And it's really important that we read these passages as such. However, they are generalizations for a reason. That is the expected result. And so that brings us to then what is the expected result? If we have right action combined with right perspective leading to right worship, what can we expect as the result? Well, verses 13 through 20 is a poem given about Lady Wisdom that points out the rewards of wisdom. And again, this is an encouragement to use that knowledge we've gained and, and combine that with right action so that we can live wise lives. But I think we can see three really important outcomes that are true no matter what our circumstances bring in this passage. There are three things that we can expect as the result of following wisdom. And I think the first thing is we will have confidence. Confidence in Christ, confidence in God. And I get that from verses 20 through 24. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open, the clouds dropped down the dew. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. They will be life for your soul and an adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. I don't know about you, but I really enjoy walking securely and sleeping. They're nice 
But if we take some of those aspects away, if we remove the security from walking, if I were to put a blindfold on you and you weren't used to that, you would walk with a lot more caution and feel very insecure. If you try to go to sleep and you're anxious about something, it's a real hardship at times. And so we have this confidence in wisdom because we know that God is in control. We know the end of the story. And shouldn't that enable us to push on with confidence? Another thing that I think we can expect from these wisdoms that we have, that right action, right perspective, and right worship, I think we can expect to have more powerful or more effective evangelism. Verses 27 through 30, do not withhold good from those to whom it's due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he's done you no harm. Right? These passages may seem sort of uh, obvious, right? Be kind. But when we're living a wisdom-filled life, a life of wisdom that God has given us, we have a care for others that might not be present in the world around us. Care for others and right actions leads to questions from those people that we're caring for and treating in the way that they deserve to be treated. Maybe even more so if those things are accompanied by the hardships that we've talked about, that maybe your life isn't looking like the success that you thought it would be from following the wisdom of Proverbs. And yet if we continue to care and continue to have right actions, that's going to lead to people talking about what is going on in your, life, in your life, what is making you different. We need to be different from the world, and godly wisdom can make us so. And that godly wisdom will bring about a more powerful Evangelism, And I think the last thing we can expect if we follow wisdom is a peaceful life, or at least a more peaceful life. Good decisions lead to good outcomes, dot, 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 usually. Right? Even when they don't, even when we don't get these outcomes like full barns and vats of wine, even when they don't, the action of wisdom is still the right decision and we're still going to be able to find peace because we know that outcome. We know that heaven is waiting for us. We know that fellowship with God is the end mark, the finish line. And so with wisdom comes about a secure confidence in who God is and what he's doing, a more powerful evangelism to our neighbors around us, and peaceful lives, whether on earth or just with the knowledge that we will have peace in the life to come. Let's pray. God, again, we just thank you for your wisdom. You care for us in ways that we don't fully comprehend. You've given us gifts that we don't even recognize, and we thank you for that. God, help us to rejoice in your rod and your staff when you use them to guide us in life. Help our knowledge of who you are turn into right action with the right perspective. We want to worship you correctly. Lord, we love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. <laughs>